Be Fabulous with Vibs and Vicky, the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders, those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world. Welcome to another episode of uh, Be Fabulous. This time it's with Francesca, uh, Vips and myself in our special series called Black, Brown and White. I almost wanted to say blue there, Vips. <laughs> special nod to Vips, <laughs> who, calls, who calls me me blue, so that's pretty funny. Uh, last time we heard from Francesca about her really moving story, um, what it's been like growing up in her shoes uh, as someone who is, is black. And today we're going to hear from Vips what it's like to be brown. So Vips, kick us off. Tell us a little bit about your your story, uh, your parents. I, I know there was a period where they lived in Africa and your sisters and you coming to the UK. Tell us a little bit about that story, Vips. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, from, from my point of view, um, we grew up, uh, well, I grew up in London. I was born in London. But from a, from an Africa standpoint, my, my dad, um, after his father passed away, he, he was sent to live with his uncle in um, Kenya at the age of six. So he basically grew up in Africa, in Kenya, in Nairobi, um, with the occasional trip back to India, you know, one of which was to get married to my mother. It's kind of a classic arranged marriage kind of thing. Um, when he was, I guess my dad would have been 21. Uh, my mother was 16, so really early. Um, and uh, you know, then they moved back to Kenya. They lived there for many, many years. My three sisters were born in Kenya. And uh, they, my dad was a upholsterer. He had a shop there. He used to, amongst other things, you know, the sexiest thing that he did was he used to leather upholster by hand racing cars, which sounds really cool. I just don't know what racing cars looked like in the 60s. But <laughs> whatever that was, it sounds, it sounds pretty cool. Um, but he had a shop. But it was one of those things where when... Um, when Kenya got its independence, they had to choose whether to uh, basically stay in Kenya or to maintain their British citizenships, in which case they had to leave. And that's what they did. And they moved to London with nothing, basically, um, and started all over again, um, at which point my dad would have been you know, close to 40 at that point. So I, I arrived quite late in the day to cause trauma and mayhem. But yeah. So, so the whole Kenya connection is very, very strong in our in in uh, our family. And you were born in London, Vips. I was born in London. Um, in with these three older sisters. With three, with three older sisters and much it's an older Indian sister. family. Three, yeah. So to think of it like four mothers. It was like four <laughs> mothers. Yeah, didn't really have sisters. It didn't feel like sisters. It felt like four mothers. How much yeah, like, older are they than you, Vips? You. Um, my elder sister is 16 years older than me, and my younger sister is eight years older than me. That's the Italian connection. And then your, your early years in the, in the UK. So tell us a little, little bit about when you first started to identify you know, as someone who is brown. When did you notice that? I think I noticed it almost immediately, just by virtue of the fact that, you know, we lived in, uh, we lived in a place called uh, in, in Archway, which is in North London, 
But at the time, it was, it's a bit more eclectic now, but at the time, it was predominantly white area, white Irish area, in fact, it was historically. And, uh, you know, there just wasn't that many Indian people there. I mean, growing up through school, maybe, you know, three or four Indian kids. In Indian, by, by Indian, that could have been Middle Eastern, just anyone with slightly brown skin, right? So, you know, there's, a, there's about you know, 20 countries that could have come from, you know, which I'm, I'm, I'm sort of capturing there. Um, and then there was probably, you know, a roughly equal number of black people, you know, some from, some from Africa, so to speak, and some from sort of West Indian heritage. Um, and then basically everyone else was white. <laughs> I mean, you know, so I was, no, I was pretty aware that I was different. And it was, um, it was quite a harsh area at the time. So, you know, you did experience racism, you know, you, you, you did experience that um, on, a, on a frequent basis, just walking down the road. You know, I, I remember vividly walking down the road with my mother once and she used to wear the full saris, right? So she was always very proud of her, you know, Indian clothes and Indian wear. And so, you know, you used to get, you know, sworn at, abused, spat at, that kind of thing used to happen. Not very often, but it did happen. And, and when you see the kind of stuff like that at six, seven, eight years old, it, it tends to stick. Yeah, it's, it's those precognitive years where yeah. you, you start to tell stories to yourself about, about who you are. Yeah, I do remember at times thinking, you know, why don't she bring it on herself? Why don't she wear saris? Like, you know, it's like, you know, you, you almost fall into this kind of, where well, you, you're asking for it by being different. So why, why be different kind of thing? But at least at that age, I, I wasn't smart enough to be able to distinguish identity from just, well, that was unpleasant. Let's try to avoid the unpleasantness. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is natural, right? So I think so. You, yeah. But my, my point is, I don't think I ever thought of it as being, like it was wrong, but it wasn't, I don't know, I, I, I never, I don't know. It, I don't know. It, it was one of those things that I was like, that's just the way the world is, as opposed to, I don't know. I, I, at that point, I didn't know how to interpret any kind of, it's wrong. Well, I couldn't apply value judgment to it. So, Vips, I've been thinking about you and your three sisters. So they were born, you know, almost different generation, I would say, 16 years to 18 years older than you. Born in Africa, Nairobi to be precise. Uh, you were born in England, so you're British. So your growing up upbringing is sort of different. What is that difference like? I mean, were you able to connect? Was it vastly very different? Um, I mean, how are you relating? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it wasn't. Probably wasn't that easy. Um, I mean, from their point of view, I was probably the spoiled kid who got everything he wanted. And from my point of view, I was the. There was no one sort of in my age group. I was alone, you know. Um, so, I, I think if I'm. I was probably closest to my, you know, it was almost an age order. I was closest to my next youngest. And then, you know, my elder sister was married by this point anyway, that I remember. She, you know, she got married when I was five, I think, five or six. So, um, so she was kind of not in the house, so to speak. She was living somewhere else. So she, uh, you know, I, I think, um, I, I think that we have a really good relationship, but it, but it's, uh, you know, they probably care about me almost like the baby. Um, in a in a quite a real way because there was so many years. Uh, yeah, I, I mean our relationship's really good. I don't really have any basis of comparison, but I do know that, for example, it was way harder for my older sister and even my middle sister to adapt to schooling. You know, to to schooling in a different country. Um, you know, from effectively coming from Africa, going into schools in the UK. Um, you know, there was a transition period. And, you know, for 
it was, it was, you know, for them, my elder sister would have been, I think, you know, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 at the time. So it was, it was a difficult time in your life to make that kind of transition. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so Vips, as we, as we think about uh, your journey then, um, as, as a brown kid, so you talked a little bit about how your mum, you, you noticed your mum in her saris getting these comments and, and being spat at and you started to, to wonder what that was about. What were your own experiences with um, overt racism as, uh, as a young kid, as a brown kid? I don't know if I saw, I mean, the, the, to me, there were environmental things. Like there, it was, when I, when I think of, um, uh, when I kind of think of, I, I guess, I guess the biases or experiences that, that I guess I was programmed with. You know, I think there were areas, there were areas in town, in, in London at the time, that maybe had more crime, for example, and there was an undercurrent of black areas have more crime that you started hearing about. Now, at the time, you know, uh, you know, I remember vaguely the Brixton riots, right? And this was, you know, this was when there were like three channels on TV, right? And my dad would make us watch the news at 10 every single day. So you would see whatever was going on, you know, as filtered through the BBC lens. And you'd see, you know, whatever. I, I don't remember the, the riots in Brixton. And you see it, it predominantly looks like, you know, black bad, white policeman good kind of thing, right? It was, I mean, I, I didn't register then, right? Now I look back at it and I think, yeah, those sorts of things, whether that's overt, whether that's subconscious, whether that's, I don't know, but it was definitely there. Beyond that, I, I you know, beyond that, I think it was more, I did, I did feel that even in school, there was a slightly different standard for those of us who were maybe not white, then there was, and that would, you know, I'd include black people in that, I'd include you know, Asians in that. It was a slightly different standard to what was expected of us relative to what was expected of someone else. But that's probably about it, at, you know, from, from at that age. And, and what happened then as you started to think about uh, going through school and then onto university um, with your, you know, your, your dad and his background and your mum and her background? Uh, any stories to share about? what you wanted to do in life and and you know, who you chose to marry and all that kind of good stuff that has a, a racial angle to it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so from a college point of view, I, I think I was just lucky. We grew up, we grew up a time in England when this idea of equality of opportunity was something that was quite real as opposed to a, a nice soundbite. And I do remember that, you know, I, I think I was lucky. I mean, I, I'm sure. I'm sure part of me getting into, you know, I got an offer from Cambridge. I got an offer from the London School of Economics, and I'm pretty sure that that in this case, now now that I think back, it probably helped that I wasn't white. I was like trying to make the numbers work or whatever. Um, so I think there was there was an attempt, at least at a systemic level or a structured level, to try to provide opportunity from you know, to ethnic minorities or from those who have lower income backgrounds. I think at that time, there was, it was, it was a bit more real. So I kind of benefited from it, you know, I, you know to be honest, at some level. Um, Did you know that at the time? No, of course not. I, I think I was too <laughs> stupid to know that at the time. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I, I don't think, I never really saw myself through the lens of race. But I also know that that I was relatively unique from that point of view. Like even my cousins, my, 
other people that I was around saw things through the lens of race a lot. And I was, I was just reasonably colorblind to it. I, I just didn't, you know, maybe that's my own ignorance speaking. I don't know. I, I was just never, I was just always very, you know, it's, it, I don't know, maybe it was just one of those, not something I can change. So who cares? Move on. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but did you gravitate uh, black or brown people when you were growing up or was it a, a mixed uh, group of friends that you had? It was pretty mixed. I mean, it was pretty mixed, but what I will say is we definitely, I definitely veered towards people that I thought were more interesting that tended to be, they had to have something interesting about them. And that tended to look like, um, so, you know, when I think back about my sort of close friends through school and so forth, you know, you know, my, my two of my best friends were black. One of my best friends was Chinese. One of my best friends was Colombian. And then there was me. And there was, you know, I think two, 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 what you would call, you know, white people, white English people, uh, whatever that means in quotes. Um, I just realized I was doing air quotes on a podcast, which clearly doesn't work. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, so, you know, we, we were quite a multicultural core, if you will. Yeah. And, and so I guess, but I, I didn't see that through the lens of race. I saw that through that lens of just interesting people, you know. Um, but we did get ourselves into a lot of trouble. And I'm pretty sure, I can't figure out if we got into more trouble because we were minorities or did we get away with more bad stuff because we were minorities? I, I, I you know, I, I'm not, not quite sure on that one. Well, even, even that question is really interesting because, you know, often minorities get singled out. So the fact, but the fact that you think you got away with it, um, it is interesting because I think others would say the opposite. And it comes back to your previous point of, didn't really identify as brown, you know, because you're looking at it through the lens of an opportunity as opposed to a burden. I think there was something else, Vicky, that I'm kind of ashamed to say, but I am going to say it anyway. The, the, these people I'm talking about, they were all, they all just happened to be really intelligent. And meaning they were doing, you know, their grades were good. They're, mm -hmm. they, it was, so put, put another way, it was in the school's best interest that we did well because we were bright kids. Mm. Right? So, <laughs> had we not been so bright, I imagine, I imagine the consequences would have been more severe because it would have been the excuse for us to be singled out, picked on or otherwise. It just mm -hmm. so happens that all of us were, were, were really quite sharp, you know? And I do wonder sometimes if we weren't sharp, the results might have been very different and our, the attitudes toward us would have been quite different. Yeah, I might want to agree with that because... Um... You know, definitely, if they promote you, uh, it's to their best interest. And if you're not that smart, um, it will be to the detriment of the, of the school. And so it's easy to pick on you. I was speaking to somebody. He was, uh, she was a white lady uh, married to a black person. And, of course, they had a mixed kid. Uh, the kid got picked on, um, even though he looked very white but he still got really picked on. And the lady was very upset uh, for that purpose, um, just because he was the only one in the school setting. So you have a school of 1,500 kids. You only have one that looked like this strange-looking person. So um, gets picked, up, uh, picked on all the time. So I can see how that plays out. But um, the reason why I asked the previous question was really to figure out how is it that you did not see anything through the uh, racial lens? And I can see why, because you described when you were growing up, you had friends of all racial groups and categories. So 
it really meant nothing. You weren't picking, you were not selecting your friends based on the racial category. It was on a common goal of maybe smart people or adventurous people or, you know, things like that. And it's also luck, right? Simple stuff like, you know, one of my best friends was, uh, was uh, I'll mention him by name, Cameron. Um, black guy West from Barbados, actually, right? Tall kid, you know, the classic sort of super tall, super tall kid when everyone else is short. And from my point of view, that was safety. It was wonderful, right? Walking, right? Uh, but, but we just happened to take the same bus to school every day, right? So it would be, you know, it would be a contest to jump, like London buses in those days, the back was open. So you could run and jump on and it was great fun. You know, it's, it's unsafe, sure, but it was fun. Um, but, you know, there was a certain amount of serendipity between some of those connections as well, you know. So, yeah, I just consider myself, I guess, just super fortunate um, from that point of view. But it, but it created a curiosity. It created a curiosity for different cultures, different foods, you know, different uh, customs. And bearing in mind, I was going to a Catholic school, being brought up Hindu, and, you know, in England, right? So it was very eclectic, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't being conditioned by my parents to be a good Indian boy. Um, I was going to a Catholic school. It, it was just, it, it was a really odd confluence. I don't know, I, I think it's a reasonably unusual confluence of experiences. Well, it's actually really cool. And you'd almost say it's a recipe for turning out the way you did because if you are exposed to so many different nationalities and foods and different religions and living in a melting pot like London then people become humans you know they're not yeah like like me growing up in South Africa where there was the ultimate segregation into yeah. different communities and no one mingling whether you were Afrikaans whites or uh, English whites or different kinds of um, Khoza blacks or Zulu blacks or you know everyone was kept so separate you had no opportunity. So when there's no opportunity, then it becomes general, becomes fear-based. But when you get to know each other as humans and you're mingling, um, then it's the human that you see. It's the stories that you see. And there's power in that. But, but to me, most of my, you know, it's so cool you bring that up, Vicky, but um, yeah, this conversation's going, I'm reflecting. Like most of my best experiences were with black people when I was growing up. Just, I, I'm talking about Notting Hill Carnival. Mm -hmm. Notting Hill Carnival was something I used to love going to. And it was predominantly... To me, it was about the, um, what's it called? Steel bands. The steel bands, everyone who plays this, played a steel band happened to be black at that time, right? It just, uh -huh. I mean, there were few that were white and other, but at the end of the day, it was a predominant, it felt like a black festival. Um, you know, it, it, the, um, at that time, it was England versus West Indies from a cricket point of view. I don't even like cricket, right? But it was always fun, yeah? Um, yeah, the 80s music, <laughs> That was my formative years. It was all hip hop and R and B and soul and rap and it was all black. It was all music of black origin. So from from my point of view, there was just a, just a tremendous amount of performance and a tremendous amount of richness and culture and soul and joy and music and dance that was predominantly black from my perspective yeah so i i i i i experienced black black equals joy to me that's where my where but i have that association in my mind it's very interesting you know in this conversation yeah but there's also a different um 
perceptive out there. Um, I know that many blacks feel there's racism between white and black, and black happens to be at the bottom, brown in the middle, and white at the top. Um, what's, what's your experience, not personally, but what you've heard in the brown community, their experience or perception mm. of black people? I, uh, growing up or now, I, I guess, I guess, I, no, I think it's definitely a, um, in my experience, Indian people are just as racist as anyone else, I guess is, I guess is where I would take that comment. And, and I've seen it, I've seen it, you know, there, there's slang words for black people and there's slang words for white people and there's slang words for Chinese people and there's slang, I mean, I, <laughs> what I don't know is if any one is any worse than the other. Like, I don't. When I hear those raised, like I hear equally derogatory things geared, you know, you know, to to blue people like Vicky, right? <laughs> right? Sorry, that's a running joke for anyone on this podcast. I keep I, I keep calling this black, white, and blue by accident. Finally, somebody black, used white, it. Uh, sorry, black, brown, and blue rather than uh, black, brown, and white. Um, uh, but I, but I, but I hear it equally towards black people, particularly growing up. Less so now, to be honest. Particularly growing up, though, and so, you know, they were just, you know, they were just equally derogatory to anyone that wasn't Indian, if I'm really honest, right? And that never sat well with me. And they were equally derogatory to Jewish people, and equally derogatory. I mean, just anyone that wasn't them, you know, and and, and even brown skin. So, you know. Hindus lose their shit with some Muslims, right? And I mean, so you've got, you've got this, this, it's like, I remember my sister once, I was, must have been about 11 years old. My sister must have been 15. She's like, I think Indian people are the most racist people in the world. And I was like, it's like, hmm, I think you're probably right. I mean, you know, from a place of no real data, right? Just us experiencing life. Um, and bearing in mind, my sister ended up marrying an Italian, and I married ended up marrying a Portuguese person, right? So, so I, I guess it it must have um, it must have played on our on our psyche quite a lot, um, you know, in retrospect. And Vips, do you have any sense of why that is? You know, why are those there are those derogatory or, or terms I, um, that are? Well, I think for, for I can speak for Indian, right here. Yeah. I think some of it, if I'm really honest, goes back to just a different form of segregation, which is the class system that's been, mm-hmm. there's a core part of Indian culture for, for, you know, hundreds of years. And, you know, you have the untouchables at the bottom and you have the, you know, the gurus and the Brahmins at the top and you have the warriors second. And so, I mean, you've got this idea of you are born into a caste and that represents your station in life or your or you know that, that you can only be your best within the context of the caste system i, I think it's the you know in, in the same way that I, I think you know um i i think the undercurrent of that kind of contrived subjugation system is probably the way i would describe it was i mean it's still alive in india i mean it's it's a bit like what we're experiencing with Black Lives Matter here in the States. I mean, it's I mean, just because slavery was abolished doesn't mean doesn't mean that parity has been achieved. And and I think the same thing in India. And I think it goes back to that. So when you've got when you've got when you've got people who are racist of your own kind in your own color. Right. I mean, 
at you know six or seven levels, then what chance has anyone else got? I mean, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I say that not I say that not to to diminish yes, it. You're absolutely but, right. Yeah. You know that that's kind of where I go, um, mm-hmm. and which is why I think maybe tolerance was such a big part of what I always. Uh, and my parents, my, my my mother in particular, always preached tolerance because she's like, you know, you, if you start looking for what's different between us, I mean, it's just the world of misery and pain. There's um, no goodness can come of that. Wise woman, Bips, very wise woman. Well, she was she was definitely beyond. She was definitely ahead of her time for for an Indian woman uh, who was poorly educated and generally was a housewife. One of those people is very intelligent without any academics. Yeah. But you could be intelligent without academics. We're beginning to realize that a lot of wisdom uh, lies uh, in, those, uh, in those years. Let's fast forward, though, to uh, a professional setting. Uh, Vips, how have you seen um, racism, or at least experienced racism in a professional setting? I've seen it through recruitment. I've seen it uh, manifesting itself through... Um, no matter what the process is, you know, whatever your interview process is or screening process is, just a disproportionate amount of minority candidates, for whatever reason, I don't think that's going to work. Maybe given two candidates that seem roughly equal, one happens to be of color, one happens to be not of color. It, it's almost like you question the one of color more. I've seen it through, the, I've seen it in recruitment functions, both within our own organizations that I've been working in at various points in time, but also... Um, you know, with clients and, and other companies. Uh, so I've seen it in there. I've also seen it through sometimes, I'm beginning to start believing that this idea of screening for cultural fit is often a problem. It, 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 uh, it, 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 it's, not, it's trying not to be, but, but it, it can sometimes rule people out who might be different without having to give any kind of justification for it. Um, that that's something I've I've seen I've seen I've seen that weaponized, if you will, uh, maybe not intentionally. Did you experience it? Did I experience it? That's hard for me to know. Because, mean mean as on the receiving end of an opportunity. Yeah, personally, yeah. I think I experienced that immediately after school, when you know my first job. I was working in a small technology company, and 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 it was it was you know technology wasn't what it is now. It was more like a manufacturing company. And it was a, it was a, it was not a very highly paid job. It was, and I think I experienced it there a little bit, but I have to say that when my career started properly after I joined Anderson, if you like, I never, I, I don't personally feel I ever experienced it um, from that point forward. I do think I experienced it a little bit after I came to Atlanta, um, when we, after we moved here. Um, uh, that first year or two, I would, became very aware of my color in a way that I'd never done in Britain. I, I definitely became more conscious of my race after I came to the States. But that also, I also at the time attributed that to moving from an urban environment to a suburban environment. So, I, you know, I, I kind of wrote it off as a function of, uh, of a suburban to urban change rather than necessary. These people hate me because I have a different skin color. I, I, I'm not sure I went straight there. <laughs> but, but- but Vips, you did you did notice the change um, after the last election? Oh, for I'm sure. Been sharing some stories. Do you want to yeah. share with our listeners a little bit, a little bit about what you noticed as a a person of brown skin living in Atlanta? Yeah, that that that's probably the time when I was 
It's the only time I've ever got upset at rate, what, what I experienced as a race-related thing in my direction. And, and it was actually 4th of July of all days. Like, it was Independence Day. And um, uh, here in um, where we live in Atlanta, there's actually a parade. It's one of the largest parades in Atlanta. It literally is at you know, top of our neighborhood. And it's a huge parade that goes by. You know, part of that parade, it's, it's kind of weird to me, but, but political canvassing happens at parades in the U.S. That doesn't happen in England this way. But um, it was really obvious to me. So the, the, at this point, there was, a, there was a Republican float, right? And they were handing out whatever, sweets and, uh, sorry, candy, uh, candy and flyers and what have you. And, and this is, bearing in mind, it's a parade, right? And what happened was they... they they, they literally walked around. It's like create, it was like social distanced in a parade before COVID, walked around myself, Jay and Carla, because, well, you're clearly interracial or you're clearly not white, therefore I don't want to be near you. And this was in the middle of a parade. And, and it was, and, I, and I, I remember feeling really conscious at the time. And then some neighbors came to me and said, that is disgusting behavior. And it, it just, I'd never experienced it before. Jay had never really experienced it before till that day. And he was like, why did, why did they walk right past us? Why did they do that? That was the first visceral reaction to, I think, what a lot of black people feel all the time, particularly around police um, or being stopped because they have nice cars or whatever. I, I, that, that, so yeah, I, I experienced it. That was, that was about as angry as I've ever been. Um, what was the conversation you had with Jay when he asked you this? Because that's not easy to, to talk to your little son about. You know, honestly, I did. I wasn't mentally prepared for it. You know, you, and, you know, normally I can fake it. You know me. I can, I can do that. I can improvise quite quickly. But I said, Jay, I really don't understand what just happened there. Let me think about it some more and let's talk when we get home. And then Carla and I talked about it over dinner that night. Okay. And, and it was very much, a, you know, we, li we live in a world where some people are more tolerant of other people. And some people are less tolerant of other people. And at the moment, we, we've, you know, in, in America right now, we've, we've created a little bit of anger and people are, and that anger is spilling over into, into people being less respectful of each other. And this is, a good, this is a good lesson for us because sometimes we're gonna see, you know, and in life, you're gonna see people treat you unpleasantly or pleasantly. And sometimes it's gonna feel fair and usually it's gonna feel unfair. And we have, to learn, we have to learn that sometimes these things happen and they mustn't hold us back. Our resilience is how we deal with them and move on. There was kind of, I can't, that's not an exact narrative, Vicky, but it was something like that that happened. Um, and that's how we did it. And, but, Jay, but Jay's the kind of kid who can take that kind of conversation. He, he's a thinker and he's quite introverted. So he, he can take that kind of conversation and, uh, and he shrugged it off and it was fine. Um, after that, but it was, it was quite hard. Yeah, how is Jay seeing himself? Um, is he seeing himself more like a white kid or a brown kid or something in between? An English kid. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I think. Yeah, so no race at no, all. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, he looks white. I mean, if you see him, he, he just looks like a white kid who tans really easily, right? I mean, that's, that's what he looks like. And, you know, he's lucky he's got, he's got, you know, slightly green eyes so he, he, he i mean he definitely doesn't look i mean he looks eclectic he definitely looks like a mix but i think 
That's a good question. I should ask him that. You know, Jay, what do you what do you see yourself as? My, my guess is he would say Indian. And the reason why I think he would say that is because Carla's family is quite small. My family is quite large. And so when he thinks of his cousin and when he thinks of family, they're all they're all Indian, right? So um, my guess is that's probably where he would lean without really knowing anything about what that means from a, from a sort of culture and heritage point of view at this stage. Definitely. Let me ask you one more, just a little bit on that. Um, you've used the term, you, you were very lucky, you know, in England and, um, you know, various admissions to colleges and what have you. And now you mentioned Jay has uh, green eyes, uh, that he's very uh, lucky as well. Why are you attributing things that look more white or along that line? Why are you attributing luck to them? Does it mean if you don't have those things, you are unlucky? Or why are you thinking in that manner? I'm just trying to, you know, understand a little bit about your thought process there. Yeah, no, that's really, that's really insightful. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that... So for me, when I said I was really lucky, what, what, what I was getting at was I think I've been really fortunate that the people that I've been around happen to, not have, to have not been racist. Most of, I mean, and I just, I think that's exceptional rather than normal, I guess is my point, right? And I think Jay has also cultivated, a, like our friends, we have a very eclectic group of friends from different races, different cultures, different backgrounds. And so I think when I mean luck, to, I, I don't, I'm not attributing that to white, black, blue. So the eye comment was just more, Jay's tall, right? He's tall and he's good looking, right? He's, he's very, very, and, and so if you're tall, relative to your age and you're quite big, then you're not going to get picked on. And, you know, if you're different and you look bigger than people who are going to pick on you, chances are they're not going to pick on you when you're seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 11 years old. And so I, I guess that's where my head was going. So I, I don't, but you ask an interesting question. Do I associate luck with white people? Well, I guess, well, I guess when I think of systemic wealth, when I think of generational wealth, when I think of, like I, I, grew up in, I grew up in Archway, at the top of the hill is Highgate. Highgate's known for being a rich area, but it's rich because it's hereditary wealth. It's, it's wealth that's been in families forever. And that wealth is white. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, it just is. And so I, I guess there's probably a traditionality aspect to that, that maybe, you know, tradition equals lucky, maybe. Um, Richness of history equals richness of wealth over generations, which might have a white um, experience set or bias set baked into that. Yeah. Um, but when I mentioned lucky, it was just more from the fact that the attributes of the character is less likely to attract unpleasant. But then also we're privileged, right? We're, we, we're fortunate, you know, we've done pretty well. We're living in a nice part of town. Most people are fairly liberal where we are. I mean, you know, it, it, you know, that's not typical either. So, um, so I, I, yeah, I think also I'm very reluctantly wealthy. So to me, everything is, <laughs> everything is lucky because I know I have more than most people do. Mm. And you know, I'm not, we're not rich, but we're definitely rich relative to most. And that, you know, I, I have, I have rich guilt. <laughs> That's close to uh, having like a white guilt right now, because a lot of yeah. whites are feeling sort of guilty 
And uh, there's no reason to feel guilty. I'm saying let's just be open. Let's be real about what's going on. And um, let's come up with something together. So, um, yeah, this is great. I'm actually, um, it, it's interesting hearing your uh, perspective on that. Um, you know, luck, wealth, all that time together. And just uh, having that opportunity to experience it, uh, it's, um, it's a big deal. At least for many people hearing it, it's a big deal. What are you doing in your space right now, Vips, to, to advance this course? That's a good question. I, I look at it at three levels. I think one, there's definitely a lot of soul searching going on. Um, and, and the soul searching is going on at many levels. So I, I tend to think, okay, so at a belief level, I, I, deeply, I deeply believe that racism is wrong. But that doesn't mean that there aren't imbued behaviors that I may be exhibiting without even realizing it that are more a function of just experiences and habits over, I won't say how many years, but it's, it's more than 30. And so there's a lot of, okay, so is what we're doing unintentionally systemically contributing to the problem? Okay. And, and for me, it's much more, it's, it's not first order, it's more second, third, fourth order. So th there's been a lot of that kind of thinking going on at a personal level. I think doing stuff like this, Vicky will tell you, I am out talking to people way more in a way than is natural for me to do. On the one hand, it's hard to keep me quiet. On the other hand, I tend to do that in very small forums and with individuals that I, I have a high degree of trust in. And so to be having these kinds of conversations on open platforms is, from for me, is something I haven't really squared with my soul yet um, in terms of in terms of how I do that and, and, and feel comfortable doing that. And then I guess from a, more from a, from a race, like what I want to do, and it's, it's really, to me, it's very, this is the thing I'm grappling with is I, I like to think of things through structures and systems. I, I, that's my preference in terms of how I like to problem solve and think about as, as opposed to what can we do this week to show my support in X or what, you know, the things that grab the headlines, if you like, are the things that generally make me not want to contribute to. Like I, cause so, so where my head goes is, okay, so we have a, we have a, we have a passion and a cause that's gone from unaware to aware. And it's it reached a crescendo where there's going to now have to be a massive long tail worth of work that goes on for years, generations, decades. And I, I want to figure out how to help in one of those problems when the way I would describe it, karma heads prevail. I, I feel right now it, it's very hard for karma heads to prevail because it's it's being done under the crucible of anger and frustration and emotion. And and I think when you're in that and when you try to have a my preference is to have those those kinds of like the, the richer, deeper conversations which require you to take multiple sides. And and I think right now you can't do that without being labeled a racist yourself. And and it's, it's, it's got me burnt a couple of times already. Um, and so I, I think you can only, if, if I want to engage where I think I'll be able to add more value, the question I'm trying to figure out is, okay, how much do I have to adapt to what the environment needs right now? And do I want to be part of the, of the chorus that is, that is creating a lot of noise, which is important, but is, are my talents probably best further downstream? in think tanks, in research organizations, in papers, in, you know, in, in systems and structures in terms of how we deal with that. And I, th I, th I don't, 
Most of the people I'm around aren't able to engage in that conversation right now because it's just too raw. It's, you know, it's almost like stages of grief have to get to a certain point. And, and I think that's, um, yeah, that's my, if you have any wisdom on that, Francesca, I would love to know. But um, that, that's what I grapple with on a daily basis at the moment. That's great. Thank you, Vips. Uh, it's pretty enlightening just hearing uh, the approach you're taking. And I think even while you're still thinking through it, um, the more education you've given yourself to prepare for that uh, objective viewpoint down the road, the better. And also, I would think that investing in, um, in Jay's identity, understanding the Indian identity as valuable because I remember there was a time you said that was one thing you regretted not really identifying or learning more about that culture the richness of the culture I think those are some of the things I'm sure you you'll be thinking about doing oh we are oh, I've got to tell you this that's a fantastic story so we um it's so I'm so glad you said that because we've started doing that one We've committed as soon as it's like safe to properly travel again, you know, post-vaccine. Let's not call it post-COVID. Let's call it post-vaccine, right? The, the first year post-vaccine, we are definitely going to India as a family. Yeah, absolutely. No question. We've already, just, we've already agreed that. But this is the funny story, um, or not funny story. We did um, kind of on a whim. I, I did a family reunion um, over Zoom, right? Because it was like, well, if we're all living in our houses anyway, what does it matter if, you know, where we are? And so my mother's side of the family is huge and they're in India. You know, we got India, we got Canada, we got Fiji, we got Australia. I mean, it just, just you know, spans the globe. Yeah. And we did, a, you know, it's classic one of those WhatsApp things and, you know, you know, ask people who wants to, you know, who can join, what have you. And it's a couple of weeks later and we had 40 something people show up. Right. And so basically, and what was really amazing was my grandmother had 19 grandkids. Okay, all 19 grandkids were on this call, yeah? And it was the first time we've ever been together oh. in our lives, oh, right? First time we've ever been together in our lives in a time when everyone is separated. And I felt the, um, there was like a poetic sort of um, juxtaposition of that, that, you know, in a time when you can't be together, we were able to be together in a way that we'd never been in 40 plus years. Together, right, absolutely, that is... And, uh... and that was so cool for Jay, mm. but also all the other, you know, yeah. all the other, you know, nieces and nephews and, and kids running around that, wow, this is what it means to, to embrace our heritage and our family and our culture and what have you. And, wow. And we did Zoom breakouts, right? So different... You know, we had five people, you know, like 10, 10 breakouts oh, going on with five people from each. Oh, and... that's awesome. So, yes. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to just, um, I, I think the quicker we can see more people as humans rather than blue, black, blue, <laughs> blue, white. <laughs> that's the third time, third time you've said it, Vips. <laughs> Francesca and I have been cracking up on the side here. <laughs> I know. You didn't uh, even know uh, You know, white, black. <laughs> Uh, whatever, um, you know, the better it will be. And um, and uh, I think it's stuff like that's really important, you know. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, with, with that, with that, yeah. it's very interesting you say that because uh, I was facilitating a conversation this morning at UCLA um, with the senior management team that Francesca's part of, although she wasn't on the call. 
um, around their implicit bias training and, and then how they take it further um, and, and on. And before that, we have a, a coffee um, with the, the head of the department and it's 300 people. Um, and they're going so well because they're intimate and their stories and they're very personal. And she made the comment that before this period, she would do her annual town hall and she was on a podium and she had no way of connecting with this number of people deeply. But now they're these personal stories. And it feels to me like not only is this time from a raising of consciousness around Black Lives Matter, but actually because we are all at home, people are more willing to engage in conversations via these different conversational platforms like Zoom or Teams or Meets um, and in the chat boxes because they don't feel as as seen as when they're in person. You know, there's a degree of safety when you're behind the camera. So it's it's feeling like we're building more closeness and belonging when it's designed that way. Now, it has to be designed that way, but we're defining really cool ways to, to design it with uh, Francesca's team that um, is really heartwarming. And I think if we start to think about this across all sorts of organizations, because it's when we get to know each other and have these stories, that's where the beauty kicks in. And I was actually having a conversation this morning uh, with somebody at another, an executive at another client who is Indian, but he looks black. <laughs> and he's like, Becky, how do I, how do I square this away? You know, I keep getting targeted and it's, I'm brown, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> What do I have to do? And why do I have to adjust myself to make somebody else feel comfortable? And and suggesting to him to be sharing his story and to laugh and to show the vulnerability that lets the other person see him as just a human, not a 200-pound black-looking brown guy. And, you know, just be that human. It, it actually... Because once you see the person, then you no longer see the facade Right. You know, you don't see intimidating, you don't see aggression. When you don't see the human, then you just see whatever stories you've built up, probably precognitive as a child, um, through your belief structure and your, your, your previous generation. So the more we can use these platforms to actually just share our stories in a very real way, because I'm just loving hearing them. I'm loving hearing the senior management team of this group at UCLA just open up and those stories that they share today were just more stories that I was like, oh, Wow. And then once you see that, the walls come down because now you have empathy with each other. And I think now is the time and we actually have a blessing with this period of, of being at home and isolated because we, we get to reach out in this way. Whereas when we're in person, I just don't think it's the same. People have their walls up because they, they feel like they're, they're very exposed when they're present. But it's behind the camera, we feel a degree of safety. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Vicky. And I've, I've definitely seen the positive side of that, too. I think it's probably worthwhile also mention as a kryptonite to that too as well though, which is, which is for many, I, I think if you're optimistic and positive about people, then that's going to have that effect. I think if you're, if you're negative and angry, you're going to use those forums to propagate anger and hatred. And I, and I, I think it's, so the, the power that you have on the plus side is, and I don't think that's just about the setup. I, I think that's a little bit about how disillusioned you've become. Um, and so I think, I think, um, we have to, we, cause I, I think if you become disillusioned, you're not necessarily coming at it from a place of requiring safety. You're coming at it from a place of feeling that I have an, it's not about feeling safe at that point. It's about, I need you to see the world my way. And I, and, 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 
if you don't agree with me, you're against me, right? And and I, and I think when you get into that kind of, that can happen. I've, I've seen that happen through these forums also when you try to create safe spaces. Mm. Mm. So I, I think it's a, it's a combination of, uh, of, of the environment, the character, like where people are, right? Where, where, where people are. Um, mm. But the mechanisms, I mean, we have, from that point of view, we definitely have the technology. And yeah, yeah. And honestly, I, as you guys were talking, I remembered I was speaking to somebody early this week, and I don't know whether you thought about this. So all this we're doing behind um, the camera, right? In the comfort of our homes. What happens when we go back to work? What happens when the kids go back to school? This is the first time they will come in contact with the people of different racial groups. Are they prepared to deal with one another in the way we've been talking behind the camera all this while? Are we prepared for that? I think there's a food for thought there just to, just to no, there get is. ready, right? Yeah, because even as you say that, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, over the last six months, I've got getting pretty close to my sister and I haven't had that relationship before and helping her through some pretty tough times. But it's still very different than being with each other in person. And I'm wondering what that's going to be like, as you say it, because it's when you're together, there's a different energy that gets transmitted. And even if you don't want that energy to be there, it's, it's, it's very different when you're sitting in your comfy home behind a camera saying all the right things, even though you mean them. What's it like when yeah. you're out there? Exactly. But it's also easier. Yeah. To, your brain will fall back into whatever patterns, patterns it had before. For the free, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. they are triggered by your environment, whatever it is, right? So, yeah. So, yeah. Or, or like you said earlier, you know, 30 years of being one way. Yeah. You know, like how do you, how do you not be that again, even though you've moved on? When you go yeah. back into that environmental setting, do you naturally get, oh my God, Francesca, I think you've hit on something that's going to have me thinking deeply about that especially as things shift on this one because i think there's a big gap there we're not thinking about when we go back to meeting each other face to face whether that's work school or different setting everybody's been at home for six months what happened when we go back what are we going to do um there's definitely going to be some kind of uneasiness um about what has happened as a black person there might be a quick feeling of shame that, oh my goodness, I, I told everybody what's going on with me. Um, and as a white person, oh my goodness, they, I disclosed all my hidden feelings on camera. We need to figure out how to deal with those things when, when we get back face to face. So um, a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. So Vips, any last words of wisdom uh, as we wrap up this uh, episode of Black, brown, and blue. <laughs> <laughs> Just for you, my friend. <laughs> it's Friday afternoon. We can have some silliness. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, no, I, no, I, I thank you for it's. It's um, you know, it's not very often that I get to self-reflect in a group, and and that was really delightful. And um, no, I don't have any words of wisdom. I just like everyone else trying to figure out. How best to, how how best to play my part when I can add most value, and I just hope, you know, at its core, I, I mean, I, for me, it's more, it's not so much, you know, it's when we go back to work, yes, but it's it's 
you know, equality of opportunity in our education systems. It's, it's how do we get the right proximity and mentoring to talented people who are maybe coming from underprivileged backgrounds, you know, and it's not just about scholarships, you know, is it healthy to focus, you know, our degrees disproportionately targeted to a single disciplines? Are we creating the citizens of the future? Are we, you know, as opposed to the economic workers of the future? You know, what, what role does the tax system have to play in all of this? What role does good role modeling from our political leaders play into this? I mean, so, you know, I, for me, you know, we, we, we're all, I, I, I feel reasonably confident that small little things will continue to be, happen inside our organizations, our communities, our churches, our whatever. They, they're going to they're gonna occur. I, I guess I'm just one of those people who prefer to work on the things that are going to move the needle bigger. And I think those things are just so complex and require a type of collaboration that I, I don't know if we're, well, I shouldn't say that. I want to be optimistic and end Friday on an optimistic note. I, I, I think it will be an incredible challenge for us to galvanize in that way based on where we are as a society right now. And I hope there's enough calmness and tolerance that can start as opposed to anger so that some of that energy can be a little bit more directed towards positive energy towards solving these or at least working on some of these things rather than sort of too many people uh, just want it fixed and I, I don't think it's just gonna be fixed it's it's, it's too much of a of a marathon for that you know uh, but but it'd be nice to look back in 20 years and say we started something now and look how far we came because of what happened in 2020. And that's, that's to me, that's the, that's the, it's not the game. That's the mission. That's the, that feels like a fight worth fighting. That's kind of where my head is. That's brilliant, Phipps. I don't know how we convince all of our companies to do that though. Like, you know, this is. Well, it's, it's, it's taking a little bite at the elephant one bite at a time, right? That's right. That's absolutely right. But I think we also have to be willing, by the way, I think big part of this, we're all going to have to be willing to, we're all going to trip over. We're all going to get, we're going to lose clients. We're going to win clients. We're going to, people are going to get fired. People are going to get up again. I mean, there's, people are going to take a stand and it's not going to, it's going to great and it's going to go wrong. And, and they're going to realize they pushed it too far and then they need to bring it back and they maybe didn't push it enough. And I mean, it's, it's messy. Change is messy. This kind of change is really messy. And I think if we're expecting some kind of utopian plan to emerge, that's going to be, you know, next year, the year after, the year after, the year after that, you know, I just, I, I can't see it. It's, it's, we, we have to be willing, we have to be willing to suffer and endure and, uh, and be willing to be targets sometimes as well. Uh, you know, I, I know I've become a target um, in the last month or so for, for stating opinions. And I think uh, that's, Okay. Yeah, yeah, Vips, uh, this takes you to a meta thinking level. You're doing exactly what you believe in. It's not about one person or another person. This is what you truly believe you should be doing. And if we, at least the three of us, commit to doing that, um, I mean, there will be risk. We know that. We've experienced some kind of risk. It can only be better. So um, it's great hearing from you. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, everyone. Well, thank you to Francesca. Thank you, Vips, for sharing your thoughts. 
We hope you have a wonderful week and be fabulous.